Hello and welcome. This is another exclusive podcast from Pituitary World News. This is J.D. Fascinetti. Today's podcast continues our series on new drug development, the journey to a new drug. This is my entire conversation with Dr. Stacy Markison, who is Crenetics Senior Director of Pharmacology and Toxicology. It is certainly a captivating conversation about the science of discovery and the work that goes into making sure a compound does what it's supposed to do and it's safe before it moves to human studies. I started our chat by asking Stacy, what is the job of the Director of Pharmacology and Toxicology? On a day-to-day basis, um, what I do is um, starts in discovery. Um, so molecules are discovered and developed or um, uh, discovered and made essentially by our chemistry group. Um, they then go into um, biology where they're characterized using cell-based assays. Um, and so we're looking to see, do the molecules bind to the receptors we think they should? Do they do that specifically so they're not binding to a lot of other receptors? Are they activating those receptors? Um, then we look at um, what, so, so once we know what they do in cell-based assays, the next question is, well, what do they do in a whole organism? So when you're looking at a cell, mm-hmm. are you looking at actually the, the receptor? Right. The cell of the receptor and see what chemical reaction exists between these two cells. So typically... So you're looking for certain reactions that would say these are positive or... Exactly. So a receptor... So the cells, we actually sort of engineer them to have the, a lot of the receptors that we're interested in. So then we can determine um, by downstream um, signals, does the molecule act at the receptor that we're interested in the way we think it does? And once we know that, um, then you have to ask, well, does that happen also in a whole organism? So. Um, what my group does is first we develop models in animals, usually rodents, rats. Mm-hmm. And so, for example, if we're looking at an effect on um, you know, a cell to ultimately uh, decrease growth hormone, we look in the whole animal, we give the animal the compound, and we measure growth hormone, and we see if compared to a control animal that hasn't been treated, does growth hormone go down. So you work, you you look at these cells under a microscope, I'm assuming. Well, a... not exactly. There there can be fluorescent assays. Oh, okay. So maybe they act at the receptor and you um, it fluoresces. Maybe you're measuring something called cyclic AMP, which is a downstream signaling, and you're measuring that. So it's um, specific. Um, or it could be hormones. It could even be cells that are. Um, that produce hormones and are we changing the hormones the way that we think we are. So it's usually sort of indirect um, when we're looking at the cell-based assays. So what are some of the challenges that you, in terms of what you're seeing, what you're seeing is when it's actually happening? Right. Or is, how do you know that this is actually you know, going to work? So that's, or you move it to the next step? That's the trick. Does the cell base assay mimic what's going to happen in an animal, a rat? Does the rat 
mimic what's going to happen in a human. And that's the translatability of our models. And that's okay, so tell me, when you say cell assay, what do you mean by cell assay? So you have like cells in a dish that maybe, I'll give you an example. So this is called an ex vivo assay. So we know the pancreas releases insulin. Yeah. And we might have a molecule that acts on some of those um, islets, those cells that produce insulin. And so, but that's just in a dish. So we've taken out the pancreas, we've just isolated those cells, we put our compound on there. Does, um, does the compound then affect insulin the way we expect it to? So that's an assay. So that's an okay, assay. Got it. Then, <coughs> then we have to ask, okay, so great, it works in a dish, but what does it do in a whole animal? Um, so then we take, let's say, a rat, and we um, do what's called an oral glucose tolerance test. We give um, the animal glucose, and that should cause insulin to go up, but we want insulin to go down with our compound, sure. so we give the compound, and we determine whether the insulin goes up or down so the way you we get, expect. So you try to get the, the reaction to, the, to what you think the chemical should do. Exactly. Okay, that's interesting. Based on usually based on a lot of physiology that's been already you know demonstrated in the literature yeah. um, so we're just using what we know developing molecules that we want to act in a specific way we go start in the dish then we go next to the whole animal yeah. and say does it work the nice thing about rats and endocrinology is they have a lot of the same hormone systems. These are very conserved systems across species. Yeah. So they have those same systems, so we can say, oh... Well, if it works here, it'll work there. And we hope, but that's always the next step, is eventually going to clinical trials. But before we get to a human, you certainly want to have a good understanding of what your molecule is doing in a whole organism. So yeah. that's called the pharmacodynamic or the efficacy effect. Um, and that's the first step for understanding what it does, which we call in vivo, in a whole animal. Yeah, yeah. So your day, from one day to the other, changes a lot? Or are you working, depending on what you find yesterday, today, where we have a whole new, you know, array of questions that we need to deal with. Yep. So tell me what your day's like. For yep. example, you get here in the morning. And yep. What do you do? Okay, so, <laughs> so mostly I, I get to direct people, yeah. so that's fun. Um, I get to tell other people what to do. Yeah. So, um, and, and my job is fun because I get to see what's happening in early discovery, and then I get to be involved in taking it to the next step, which is after we show that it works, you know, usually in early discovery in those cell-based assays, we're testing lots and lots of different compounds because we're characterizing them and we're determining which are the best, which are the best molecules. They're doing what we want them to do. They're doing it specifically. They're not having negative effects on other systems. Then we put it in vivo um, and we look, okay, it's doing what we want here. Um, so, so then eventually we're honing in on fewer molecules. And so we're testing them in these model systems then eventually we decide of all these molecules we've tested in all these different assays, this is our favorite one. So then the next question is, okay, it works, is it safe? And so that's the next step yeah. um, that my group does is we take that molecule and we put it into the animal at pretty big doses, greater than what we would give to produce the pharmacology effect that we want, very high doses to understand does it have any negative effects? 
And we actually give it at such high doses, we want to see negative effects sure. because we want to know if it um, has a bad effect, what is it? What organ system is it affecting? If it's affecting the heart, we take that pretty seriously sure. because that's not something that's easily monitored in the clinic if you have an arrhythmia and it can produce um, mortality. Sure. We do not want that. No. If it has an effect on the liver, um, okay, you can measure liver enzymes if the effect is reversible, then we're okay. But, but we want to have a big window between the concentration of drug that has these negative effects and the concentration of drugs that has the pharmacodynamic effects that we're interested in. Um, so in my day, um, you know, I'm working with my team to tell them what our goals are, what molecules we have coming through, what tests we need to do on these molecules, and then um, after we are honing in on the right ones, what are the next steps um, in terms of talks? Um, so some of this toxicology we do in-house, and then ultimately we do um, what's called GLP toxicology. Um, this work is outsourced. It has to be done, which is um, according to good laboratory practice. Okay, that's a GLP. GLP yeah. study, yep. That, and that's a third party that comes in? Or? So we, yeah. we design the yeah. studies, but the third party at a big company, Covance, yeah. Charles River, they're yeah. conducting those studies for us. We're referred to as the sponsor. Yeah. We have a study director who's overseeing every aspect of that study, and we sort of work with that um, study director to um, you know, manage the study, make sure it's done correctly, appropriately, in a reproducible way, and then we take those results, and those are the results that we ultimately um, submit to the FDA and other regulatory agencies and determine, is this compound, you know, good enough to put into humans, yeah. into clinical trials. So, so we, earlier we were talking about yep. discovery mm -hmm. and development, and yep. you do both. Right, so, so I started... So start with discovery. So mm -hmm. let's explain to me a little bit the difference between the work that you do when you're discovering something, yep. and what are the triggers that says, okay, this is, oh boy, we got something here, yep. let's take it yep. to the next step, and then what happens there? Yep, so in discovery, there's a lot of cell-based assays. They're usually very high throughput, which means we can put lots of compounds through. So here, we're doing these kind of quick assays where we're putting lots of compounds through. Um, you know, you're only making the compounds in relatively small amounts because you're able to use cell assays. Um, and so the goal in discovery is to test as many molecules as you can in lots of different assays that are giving you a clue as to whether they have drug-like properties. Are they soluble enough? Do they, um, are they absorbed into the body the way we want them to be? Um, do they, um, how are they metabolized? Do they break down as you would expect? Mm -hmm. Do they not um, produce you know, strange metabolites? Um, how are they metabolized? What enzymes are used? These kinds of mm -hmm. things. Do they affect other receptors like um, the Herg receptor that we know is involved in the heart? We want to avoid um, molecules that have effects on yeah. receptors expressed in other parts of the body um, except for the intended effect. So we do all of those things um, with lots and lots of molecules. Then when we sort of nail it down to, let's say, a handful, sometimes you know, a dozen, 
Then we start doing more in-depth analysis. So putting them in vivo and asking, you know, are they having the effects in the, in the whole organism? And then putting them at higher doses, what, you know, are they toxic essentially? What kind of toxic effects do they have? So then we're testing, maybe now we have 12 molecules and there's, you know, two dozen, you know, properties that we're looking at essentially. And we'll meet as a group and we'll take these molecules, we'll look at all of them on all of these different characteristics, and then we'll decide which one is the best one. And when we decide we found the best one, then we um, call it essentially a developmental candidate. And so it changes from discovery to a development candidate, and that's when we start doing the GLP tox work, and it starts moving forward, forward. for potential So for a drug trials. like CR808, right? uh -huh. did I say that correctly? Um, uh, CRN008. CRN CRN <laughs> yes. Okay, yeah. uh, at what stage did you move? Because I'm assuming that drug is, or that trial is at development. Now. Yep, so that's in so, phase two clinical yeah. so trials. So what happened when you were discovering yep. that molecule that said, Okay, let's, this, we're ready for, yep. to see how this works with specific uh, pituitary receptor, yep. growth hormone receptor. Yep. Right? So that one, so we um, had several molecules. Again, we just assessed it. We saw that in vivo, it was very good at suppressing growth hormone. If we gave it for um, a long time, we saw reductions in IGF-1. So it was doing what we thought it should do yeah. um, in vivo. And then we put it into toxicology models. We were able to dose it quite high and not see negative effects. So we were very pleased at this. Um, it had good exposure. Yeah. It had all the qualities so that some, we would So want. when you say negative effects, some... some uh, uh, not negative, but right. some, you know, n not good outcomes, but in general, this yep. is something that could, at this stage, you're looking at it and thinking, oh, this may be able to go all the way through to, yep. to market, let's say. Correct. So then we had a meeting and we decided, okay, this is our development candidate. This molecule we want to invest time and money in and move forward. So then we initiated our GLP tox studies, and there's a whole... Um, battery of tests that are required by the FDA before that we should do and present the results before the FDA and other regulatory um, agencies will say, yeah. okay, we agree, we will allow you to put this into phase one clinical trials. And in phase one clinical trials, we're typically going into healthy volunteers. We're starting at uh, very low doses, doses that we've determined to be safe yeah. from our animal studies and then we um, dose patients or first um, healthy volunteers um, and we're just looking for exposure in the body and safety so are there any safety so you're looking at how the drug moves through the body do you know actually how the body releases the drug or, so or how long it takes yeah. right so yeah. we do first just um, we give the drug and we look, we take blood samples over 24 hours to see the concentrations of drugs. So at first, an oral medication like ours, it takes a little while, maybe an hour, to reach its peak concentration. Yeah. And then over time, it decreases so that at 24 hours, it might be um, gone or very low. Um, and so that's the first 
sort of pharmacokinetics profile that you look at over 24 hours. Then you dose it for several days and you see how that that profile changes. Usually you reach what's called steady state. So instead of the drug going here and gone, here and gone, it goes here, but then it comes out to a... So the level of the drug in the body remains higher. Exactly. So which means... It's on all the time, essentially, but not always at the same concentration, but more um, even than if you were to wait days. So that's why you have to do multiple days to get an understanding of how the body... Um, As far as how it's excreted from the body, we usually do animal studies first to determine, you know, is it excreted in the urine, in the feces, and then we can ask those same questions in the phase one clinical trials so we can understand is it doing what we expect it to do. And we're going to go through with, I think, uh, Alan through... Uh the discussion of the phases and what are the exactly. different things. So I, I won't bore you with that. Right. And that's not my area. So, <laughs> so um, what about the challenges? I'm sure that you have more um, disappointments, if you know, I don't know if that's a good word. Yep, sure. Then then uh, at what stage do you say, oh boy, this is, is it, tex- is it toxicology? Is it so not tox uh, probably you know, related? Kills issues or I would say that tox kills most compounds I mean we do a lot early on so initially one hard hurdle um, that we have to pass is making sure that the drug is what's called orally bioavailable we're in the market of developing compounds that you can take as a pill um, so that patients don't have to inject themselves so that you can change the dose easily they just swallow a pill but that means that pill has to get absorbed across the gut and then flow into the body and getting a drug to get across the gut yeah isn't always easy so our that's one of the first assays that we do it's called um pk where we're looking at you know if we give the drug orally how much of it gets exposed um that's why injectables are easier to Right, because they can they can go into the systemic um, circulation Faster. in the gut. You yeah. have all these um, uh, enzymes that are breaking things down. Yeah. So if we break that molecule down before it gets into the body, it might not be effective. So um, I always ask this question because when people do really interesting work like you do, there's always things that you can't take it. You always take it home, I'm sure. Oh yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> what keeps you up at night? Um, <laughs> Honestly, usually timelines. Yeah. You know, we have aggressive timelines. Yeah. And, and so we want to move fast. But from the layman's point of view, this stuff takes forever. You know, you're, you think, okay, what do you mean 10 years? What do you, right. Why can't you move fast? Right. What has to happen? Yes. You know, you see these timelines that are going, holy cow, that why takes does it a take long so time. long? Is it, I'm assuming regulatory, some of it, but some of it is just. The work. The work. And it's complicated stuff. Yes. And you're, so like I said, at first there's a lot of molecules. So you're testing lots and lots of molecules just to get to one. Yeah. Then when you get that one, for example, if you're going to do a clinical trial in humans, you have to have dosed that compound in animals for the same number of days, up to a maximum of nine months in a non Um, rodent species and six months in a rodent species. So if I want to dose a a patient for three months, I've had to have tested that molecule for three months in an animal. And um, 
not only do you test it, so you have to dose it every day for three months, then you need to, usually you have a group of animals where you have a recovery period. Because a very important question is, if you do have a toxic effects, let's say you do have changes in the liver, if you stop dosing the compound, do those effects go away? Yeah. You want to know if they're reversible. Sure. So your three-month study is actually four months, and then you have to do all of the measures. So we do what's called histopathology. You will essentially take the organs and look at them under a microscope to determine have you caused any, any changes yeah. in that organ yeah. with your molecule. And, and that's a very sensitive way of assessing the effects of the molecule yeah. in, in the body. In terms of, you know, there's so much talk about technology and mm -hmm. AI and mm -hmm. development and the, the acceleration of medical knowledge in the last 10, 15 years. Mm -hmm. uh, how do you see that uh, affecting the work that you do? Yep. So there's definitely a big movement toward that, doing fewer animal studies, for yeah. example. But right now, it's gonna. I think it's gonna be a long time before that um, changes yeah. because, to me, it's so important to know if that molecule is safe before you put it in a human being. So we rely on animal studies to get that that information. So, so technology may not be able to replicate the 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 animal the, animal, the reaction. The, to, yes, regardless of how much data points they have. That's. Yeah. What I, I worry about. I mean, yeah. we'll we'll work toward that, but still, somehow you have to, you know, manage the um, understand if that you know AI or in silico model matches the real in vivo model, and yeah. I just don't think we have enough information yet. Yeah, this is fascinating mm -hmm. stuff. Information. I would love to hang out with you just to see how you, how, what you do. It's, okay, that's interesting. Right. You know, so maybe I can do that at some point. Right. <laughs> because it's so interesting, you know, to translate that to the uh, patient community. Because I think there are so many things that are not quite really well understood. Right. And people have sometimes uh, not not uh, the right expectations. Right. Right. You know, when it comes to, to this kind of work that's so complicated. Yep. Is there anything that I didn't ask you that you'd like to talk about? Um, I don't know, just want to sort of emphasize how much um, toxicology we do to make sure that the molecule is safe before going into humans. So for example, the, the package that we do before phase one clinical trials, it, it encompasses um, repeated measure or repeated dosing um, in two species of animals. It, um, we do a, a battery of uh, genotox to understand does the molecule have any effects on the DNA. Um, we do um, what's called safety pharmacology. Does the molecule have any effects on um, behaviors or activities controlled by the brain. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we don't want to see any negative motor effects or anything like that. We do um, a whole cardiovascular panel. We want to make sure that the compound isn't having any effects that we don't know about on the heart. Yeah. Um, we look at the respiratory system to, again, ensure that there's no effects on the respiratory system. So just that there's um, stringent guidelines of... So are these guidelines that you, Kinetics as a company, sets? No, these are guidelines... these are FDA guidelines that you need to, to get to before you can say, 
I'm done with the discovery, I'm going into development. Correct. This is um, that the FDA and other regulatory um, worldwide um, regulatory agencies have um, set forth as what, what do they want to see before they'll agree that you can move to so that clinical saves you trials. Actually, a lot of, I would say that that is good. I mean, it's good because it, then you don't get up to the development side and say, "Oh my God, we have a, uh, we didn't do this, this, this." You have a. We have like a path, a path forward. Yeah. There are some. It depends on the compound and what you see as to what are the exact experiments yeah. that that you need to do. But there's definitely guidelines. So, so you know this idea that the FDA sometimes from the layman's person of the right. it's a little too close to the pharmaceutical companies kind of creating the Boeing 737 max effect right you know where all of a sudden they're approving things and just because there's a push, push. to go like what's your view on that honestly I think it's been less and less yeah um, and I think the FDA is imposing more and more sort of guidelines or expectations because um, ultimately if something happens and they've approved it it's on them yeah so I think over the years, it's shifted a little bit. Yeah. They make it very difficult <laughs> for us. No, I can imagine, sure, sure. <laughs> and, and rightly so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but as the sponsor, we have to know the science and the molecule very well. That's what they expect. We have to be able to describe the data, what the potential risks might be. Um, and so if you look at it that way, they're, they're doing their job, we have to do our job. Um, to, to get, you know, a molecule to the clinic and to patients. I hope you enjoyed listening to Dr. Markison as much as I did. And please stay tuned for our next podcast on drug development coming up very shortly. Thank you for listening.